This episode of Fright Day is brought to you by Spring Heel Jack Coffee. You need great coffee. Jack delivers. Visit springheeljack.coffee. Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you'd like to support us, go to patreon.com slash fright day. Yep. Well... Welcome to Moon June, friends. Oh. And Byron. What, is that? what does that mean? That, that means is... that you are not supportive of my Moon June. I, I, listen, it's happening. It is happening. So that's something. So tonight, we're going to talk about a topic that we could call a couple of different names. We could call it O'Neill's Bridge. We could call it the Bridge on the Moon. One of Hoagland's favorite tourist spots. Are we talking about Richie? Mm-hmm. When yeah. do I interview him? Do you want me to work on that, like, during you talking? Sure. Okay. It's not like you're going to listen anyway. <laughs> That's true. Okay. So let's let's get down to business here. There's a bridge on the moon, folks. Wait, excuse me? Mm-hmm. Natural? It's a little up for debate there, B. I will let you decide the answer to that question. Not you, Byron. Like, oh, you, the listener. The listeners. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But here's the story behind it, and then we're going to talk more. In 1953, there was an amateur astronomer by the name of John O'Neill. He was actually the science consultant, science editor for oh, some newspaper in New York. The New York Telegraph or the New York something or another. Anyhow. Great job. Point is, he's not a nut job. Okay. He's got a four-inch refractor. And That's he's looking said. at the west... <laughs> Alrighty. Sorry. At the western shore of Mare Crisium, which is this area on the moon, okay? And he sees a man-made bridge. And he's very specific at first to say it looks very strange. It's weird that this was caused by natural events, okay? He doesn't come right out and say, like, okay, this was man-made. But he observes that it's about 12 miles he called for verification from professionals, so he ended up talking to British astronomer Hugh Percy Wilkins, who I believe was the head of the British Astrological Society at the time. What are you doing right now? No, I was just thinking about bridges. Oh, God, what? We had an airplane flying by, too. We were out on the porch. You probably hear the, the crickets in the background. Uh, no, I, I just was wondering if 12 miles was a, considered a long bridge. And according to the, this list here of the longest bridges in the United States, uh, the longest being the uh, Lake Pontchartrain Causeway. Pontchartrain? Fuck, I don't know. I don't know. I no in Louisiana, it's 24 miles long. And then a 12-mile long moon bridge, if it was in the United States, would slide into the number five slot. What about 1963? Or 1953, pardon me. No idea. Do you want me to look up all that stuff, too, while I'm Googling Richard Hoagland's contact? No, stick with Hoagland. Stick okay. with Hoagland. Great. Okay. People freaked out, especially when Mr., I believe, Dr. Wilkins corroborated the story. And Dr. Wilkins kind of doubled down because not only did he say, yes, the bridge is there, but he was very specific and said it was man-made. It was engineered. On December 23rd, 1953, in a British radio broadcast, 
Dr. Wilson was interviewed at his telescope by British Broadcasting Company radio commentator Bernard Forbes. Since the beginning of this century, astronomers have been observing features on the surface of the moon which have not been noticed before. During the last few years, many dome-like flowings have been seen through powerful modern telescopes. And only a few months ago, astronomers detected what is perhaps the most curious feature of all. It looked like a gigantic bridge. And the director of the British Astronomical Association, Dr. H.P. Wilkins, discusses this new discovery. What you just heard was a clip from a YouTube video of a, well, I mean, because the it, thing is... I mean, it was uploaded to YouTube, but what... Well, that's what I mean, because it was that a, a guy uploaded, he said his father had this on reel-to-reel, -reel, converted it to cassette, and then the cassette was converted to a different cassette and sent to him. Which was digitized and then digitized to a video and put onto YouTube. Exactly. Now, at first, I thought that this was... Well, I mean, it is a little bit crazy sounding, but I did find discussions in a number of places about Wilkins actually going on record and having an interview about this. So it is verifiable. That really is what this clip is of. Uh, Dr. Wilkins verifying that what O'Neill saw was indeed a bridge. And that is why it is now called O'Neill's Bridge. Because that's how it works. Uh huh. Now, unfortunately, there was a whole lot of hullabaloo about this. It was also the time that there were a lot of flying saucer sightings. And poor Mr. Wilkins had to quit his job. Wait, why was he forced to quit his job? Because he was blamed for all of the chaos that was caused. He was talking about it. He was interviewed and the media ran with it. And everybody's talking about, you know, aliens on the moon built a bridge. Yeah. It's a good thing that current media isn't as sensationalized totally. as things were back Very then. Very true. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and it was Wilkins' fault that people went bananas. So he had to resign from the British Astronomical Association. Oh, it's too bad. Honestly, for most people, it stopped right there. People said, oh, just nut job, whatever. However, if you dig a bit further back in history, we can find something that might give poor disrespected O'Neill and Wilkins a bit of redemption. You see, between the years 1540 and 1967, there were 579 sightings of strange lights and other phenomena on the moon. Now, keep in mind, this is over a period of very elementary moon observation to more advanced in 1967, but still nothing like what we have today. And this is actually even according to a NASA study that was compiled by Barbara Middlehurst. Uh, it's actually called the Chronological Catalog of Reported Lunar Events. Yeah, famously, she's a centrist, right? You know... You really need to be a dad. I'm working on it. Holy shit. Oh, my God. Okay. There was enough momentum for them to create that compilation at NASA, which is interesting. Some of the notable sightings were in 1783, 87, and 94. The fella who first identified Uranus, or at least first in Western history. I'm sure that there were other people identified it, but uh, because that's the only history we seem to pay attention to. I wonder if they were white. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Huh. Friedrich Wilhelm Herschel, he saw lights on the moon. And the final date, the one in March of 1794, he claimed to have seen a light so bright that it looked like a star and it was during a total lunar eclipse. He said it was visible for 15 minutes and right before it disappeared, it brightened. Well, it was obviously a star in between the moon and the earth. Case closed. <laughs> yep, that's what it was. 
So telescopes advanced, and then in 1825, in the Gulf of Siam, two British officers on board the HMS Coronation saw two different lights that were recorded in the ship's log. What are these lights? Specks? Are they white? When- white, and they're described as tic-tacs. No, I'm just kidding. Um, okay. Come on. No, but they are, like, in some cases, they're described as moving. Other cases, they're described as kind of like flashing on and then flashing off. Okay. It drove a lot of rumors. For a long time, people believed that there were people living on the moon. Yeah. It was just the normie thing to believe. And then it wasn't. But on April 9th of 1867, an issue of the Astronomical Register was released with a report from Thomas G. Elger, who saw a light that he said was the same brightness as a seventh magnitude star and he said it flared out of the moon. So, you know, you talk about solar flares. Yeah. It was like a lunar flare, which obviously makes no sense because there's nothing to flare on the moon unless there is something up there. Moon volcano. Right. Those lights are in line with the repeated reports. Guys, I'm not stupid. I, I've said like three dumb things in a row. I just want people to know. I'm oh, just, sure. Keep telling them I'm that. I'm just being a goofball. Keep telling them that. That's great. All right. So following that event, that was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. In 1869, there was a three-year investigation conducted by the Royal Astronomical Society of Great Britain about the sightings of the lights on the moon. And here's the kicker. More specifically, this investigation was into sightings around the Mare Crisium area, which is where O'Neill's bridge just happens to be. You see, so... Actually, people for hundreds of years were seeing shit at this place that poor O'Neill said, I think there's a bridge there. And then Wilkins said, yeah, there's definitely a bridge and it's engineered. And then everybody lost their shit and they both became like laughing stocks. But really, people had been saying that there were lights showing up like anomalous lights there forever. Hmm. Totally weird and not fair to those fellas. What are the odds? Because we only see half the moon. And remember yeah, when the we dark got, side of the remember moon. when we got in big trouble when someone said that you said that the moon doesn't spin? Well, it's because of our gravitational pull, right? That we only see one side of it. Doesn't it have something to do with that? I don't know. I just I feel insecure because yeah, we got on, yelled on. at by a listener. So the moon does rotate, but the rotation is slowed down over time because of our gravitational pull. And it, it's actually kind of weird that it works the way it does. Remove this bowl no, of popcorn. No, it's really good. I, don't I understand take it away it's from good. Me. You may not eat it while you're talking right now. <sighs> so it's kind of like our gravity makes the moon rotate a lot slower, just the way that the moon's gravitational pull causes tides for us. Oh. It's, it's a bit of a give and take, sure. if you will. Uh, obviously, ours has a bigger effect because we're bigger. Now, this is what's really weird. The only reason we only see half the moon is because the rotational period is identical to the orbital period. Oh, okay. Which is one of the reasons if you listen to artificial satellite moon folks, they will tell you that that couldn't possibly happen naturally. That they shouldn't be matching up the way they do. Right. Okay. It is an interesting coincidence, oh, totally. but obviously it's not impossible. Can I put this over here without you eating it? Oh. Okay, I guess not. <laughs> Just keep that there. <clears throat> so... Please, you can't. We we really can't be doing that. Like, eat as much as you want, and then we'll continue. So this Mare Crisium is a pretty hopping place. Richard Hoagland speaks about it a bit. And for people who don't know Richard Hoagland, he's a, a lost alien civilization on the moon and Mars kind of guy. Yeah, he's he's the guy that came up with the Cydonia face on Mars. Now, what is that? 
You know the face on Mars that supposedly looks kind of like a pharaoh and it's by the pyramids? Oh. It's supposed to mirror what's in Egypt? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was him. That was him just looking at like blurry old pictures of Mars? He apparently had a lot of connections. Like he was the science advisor for Walter Cronkite. Oh, even though he doesn't have any education beyond high school well, or, or is it a situation where he got it and then like the government is like hiding it his could higher be that. education it could be that he's definitely a genius okay like and yeah he's doesn't... probably bananas okay well we are might talk to him his yeah. voice is one of the voices of my youth was he a, a big art bell guy he was on our bell all very the time. much an early coast in fact coast. art always had to like simmer him down like okay calm down richard all right calm down richard it's kind of what i do to you yeah a little bit he got really excited. But then he, he like kind of flew off the deep end. There was something at some point about 19.5 degrees. Like you could go into the back of an old Navy and ask to see a secret room. And there was oh, like... He's the old Navy conspiracy theorist? I think so. Oh, no. I think oh, so. no, Richard. I believe so. Richard. But I th- don't think there was any discussion of child trafficking at that point. Who was always in the wings? Yeah. Yeah. Richard has brought together a lot of people pouring over NASA photos. He's a big proponent that there have been a lot of covered up images from NASA to obscure what's up there. And in fact, we will get into that a little bit more later this month in my episode on moon whistleblowers. I feel like we've talked a little bit about that already. Some, some. We have done. Yeah. I remember we got in a big argument about uh, the manipulation of old moon photos and i believe there was a conversation about someone who tried to infiltrate a nasa facility looking for original pictures okay well just so you know okay. uh we're going to discuss it in detail oh, but God. richard hoagland has said many many times that nasa alters photo materials they continue to alter photo materials they also alter the audio recordings and video recordings Interestingly enough, do you know that the last time they did live, non-delayed broadcast for NASA missions was in 1993? What do you think the reason is behind that? Well, funny you ask. There is a story about something that happened. It was the Hubble repair mission. So the Hubble telescope was up there, but it wasn't functioning properly. In fact, we were worried Mm -hmm. it might actually be a complete fucking failure and waste of money. And we set up a repair mission, and this was in December of 1993, And apparently, in the middle of the repair mission, there were these lights that they saw. The commentator, like the live news commentator, was so shocked that he just like went silent and was like, and then suddenly the camera got messed up and everything went blurry. And then it showed the command center and then it showed like some hangar somewhere, like trying to show other footage. Then when they came back, there was this very interesting comment from one of the crew members who just looked at the camera and said, you have to see this to believe it, JT. And then they cut his audio feed, right? Yeah. Yeah. Since then, there's always been a delay. Obviously, Hoagland asserts that it's for all these same reasons. I mean, there are stories that... I think we're we're trying to keep our secrets or if we... Super secrets? Yeah. And if we encounter something else or something happens, we want a delay. I mean, it's a pretty important thing to keep to ourselves. Well, the other thing that's weird... A lot of different people from within the government involved in NASA and our space programs have said every single Apollo or Gemini flight was followed by UAPs and that the term Santa Claus was adopted to communicate about them. 
they say Santa Claus is real, like, and apparently that's the signal to Houston or whoever that, like, okay, we got, we that got something. That seems like horseshit. That seems like it's well, pretty obvious. I think this means that Santa Claus on the Moon movie was to astronaut alien experiences as The Shining was to the moon landing. Extremely influential. It's a, uh, oh, uh, uh, it's a message of fact. Strange messaging. Well, anyhow, so back to this uh, area on the moon where there's this bridge. May or may not be there. People since have said they can't see it. Some people have said that it went up so quickly and then it was down really quickly and that it actually was some kind of a ship and not a bridge. 12 mile long ship. You've seen Independence Day. Yes, but that wasn't, well. The, that mothership? That the, mothership was fucking big. In the most recent one, there's a really huge one. I don't know that I've seen that. Really? The one that had Micah Monroe? Yeah, I don't think I saw it. It Follows Fame? Yeah. What happened to her? I don't know. I saw one of her indie romance films at South by Southwest in 2018. Oh. It was good. It was called Shotgun at the time. I don't know if they changed the title. It's something else. But I don't know what she's up to. So there are people who have now taken some photos of the moon, the north shore of the Mare Crisium, and are claiming that there are either crystalline or glass domes. Richard Hoagland, obviously, is a big proponent of this, but there are some interesting photos that kind of break down the shape of them. And the fun thing about all of this is if you get into those photos and start zooming in, you can also look up the photos on NASA's databases and try and compare and see if you can see what these people are seeing. Sometimes I can, sometimes I can't. But, you know, like, for example, there's supposed to be a face near Mare Crisium as well. I don't fucking see it. I don't it. understand the face things. That's like staring at clouds and giving significance Have you, to things. You I see. want you to just look at the face on Mars, though. Look at the photo of it. I mean, the one that's supposed to be resembling like a ancient Egypt stuff. Yeah, but like, this face that's supposedly on the moon, I don't see. I don't see it all. I remember staring at this Mars face. Like, that one like, is the only one that I've ever seen that looks pretty fucking convincing. And also, it only looks like that from the angle it's at with the shadows. Like, what does the other half of this shadowed face look like? Well, that's the problem. NASA won't let us know. Yeah, oh my God. All right. Okay, no, but really, the stuff in this area on Mars, or on Mars, the stuff in this area on the moon... I suggest you guys look into it, both the domes and the bridge, because there are quite a few things to dig into. There's a gentleman by the name of Mike Barra. Oh, what are you doing there? I was just showing you a picture of a fully lit version of it. It's really not a face. I mean, it looks like a face. It, come on. All right. Continue. It looks like a face to me. Uh -huh. A gentleman by the name of Mike Barra who wrote a whole book about this stuff. And a lot of the work that they did was like back in the 90s and early 2000s. I can't find anybody that's done more current work on it, which obviously the technology has advanced to the point that you could certainly do a lot more. I just struggle a lot because I will see something. They'll be like, oh, here's the source image. And then I will like even try to find that corner of the source image. And I just end up staring and staring and staring. I'm like, I, I don't, I can't find it at all. So we will put some of those photos in the show notes of this episode of Friday.com, of course. Yeah. But Hoagland has some good points, at least at the root of what he's discussing. It just so happens that a lot of it becomes very difficult to make a solid argument for. Doesn't mean we don't want to talk to him. Doesn't mean we don't want to talk to him. And here's the other thing that I find interesting. Byron, you tell me, maybe one, sometimes when I get down these rabbit holes, I find, like, what do they call that again? Synchronicity? When maybe it really isn't synchronicity and I'm just, like trying to dig for synchronicity in a pile of poop but I excuse think me this feels interesting to me so i came across a article talking about the development of man and how life came to earth 
listen to this quote. A mountain in the middle of the Yerkes crater found in the Mare Crisium impact basin is believed to be where future robotic and or human missions could confidently add a key missing piece to the puzzle of the combined issues of early Earth-Moon bombardment and the emergence of life. Uh, this is according to Dan Moriarty, who is a NASA postdoctoral program fellow at Goddard Space Flight Center, and his colleagues. They published this study talking about it, basically saying that there's a lot of confusion about all of the bombardment. They call it late heavy bombardment, which occurred between 4.1 and 3.8 billion years ago, both on the moon and the Earth. Not possible. Right, because the moon wasn't there then? Well, and Earth is only 6,000 years old. Correct. But if it weren't, okay? Mm-hmm. But scientists also believe that the first microbial earthlings started sneaking up at that time. All right. Okay. So impact basins on the moon could be hiding the answer to whether like amino acids or things like that were carried over by comets or asteroids or anything else whizzing around because Earth's largest impact basins have been overgrown by like hotbeds of vegetation. and Exactly. Like the evidence is gone, but the moon's just kind of a freaking waste, right? So they're thinking that it might be more frozen there. But again, all of it tying back to this one specific region on the moon, all of it tying to that is a bit weird because we talk about starting in the 1500s seeing lights there. We talk about seeing a bridge there. We talk about these domes there. There is even this structure that's supposed to be there. I can show you the picture of that, Byron, and we'll put it in the show notes of this episode. I really tried to see that. I zoomed in really hard, but I couldn't find the place on the photo that it was trying to refer to. And now we've got like real science, acknowledged science, saying that's where the key to the emergence of life might lie. I mean, that seems a little interesting, not just on the moon, but on this specific area of the moon. Don't you think that's weird? It is weird. If we think that this is the place where those microbial life forms emerged, then it would stand to reason that they may have developed there as well. They would have had to evolve in a very, very different way than they evolved on Earth. And maybe that wasn't even possible. But if if it was possible, right, then over that crazy a period of time, we're talking about four billion years, certainly they could have evolved in a very different direction than we did. And maybe they did build fucking glass domes up no. there. <laughs> they absolutely and then they didn't. ditched. Well, you also they just ding dong ditched. That, that we're so lucky to be on Earth in the sense that it is the perfect temperature to allow for life but to allow for this kind of life again i think all of these arguments it's always like there's only one kind that we understand the same ingredients aren't going to work in different environments who knows Uh, who does know who knows who knows get hogland on the horn you know who arthur c clark was right no so arthur c clark byron actually wrote 2001 a space odyssey Okay. He One of was, the scariest horror films. Yes. He was an inventor. He was an undersea explorer. He was kind of like James Cameron, but way cooler. It's not too hard. But Ex- also, if you want to know more about some really spooky moon flicks, we talked about. <laughs> okay. On shut up. The I thought those week. were great moon flicks. Cultupfriday.com. Oh, my God. So he was a lifelong proponent of space travel. 
And he actually came up with all of these because he was an inventor too. He came up with all these crazy ideas. He was the chairman of the British Interplanetary Society in the 40s. But he wrote a book. He wrote a number of science fiction books. And one of the books that he wrote actually centered on the bridge on the moon because he heard this story in 1953 and unlike so many other people, apparently thought there was something cool to it and decided that he was going to run with it and discuss it a little bit more. So in 1961, he wrote a book called A Fall of Moon Dust. Here's the gist of the story. There's a tourist ship that is cruising around the moon, but it sinks 50 feet into a sea of moon dust after the collapse of an underground cavern that the ship was traveling over. Oh, okay? no. So the passengers are like there waiting for rescue, and there's a gentleman on the boat. Uh, his name is Mr. Radley. He happens to be a New Zealand accountant, and he believes that saucerites are after him. Is he admits that, just like that he small came with like I think the inhabitants of saucers. Ah. Yeah. He admits that he came to the moon pretending to be a tourist but really trying to find evidence of O'Neill's bridge. And what year was this? This was 61, so it was like wow. 8 years after that story came out. Sure. And he tells the people, the other travelers on this sinking moonship, O'Neill discovered an artificial bridge on the rim of Mare Crisium. And this is a quote from the book. Other astronomers, of course, laughed at him, but less prejudiced ones confirmed the existence of the bridge. Within a few years, however, it had vanished. Obviously, our interest had alarmed the saucer people and they had dismantled it. I'm not saying that that's what happened, but I think that it's interesting. A fellow who wrote something like 2001, which was very obviously science fiction, but rooted in probable. You know, there's science fiction and then there's like... The fifth element. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Rooted in probability, I think this was kind of interesting as well. New York Herald is what O'Neill was the editor of. I finally found my resource for that. I thought that. that was just a fun nickname. Yeah. I know. I'm hey, sorry about that. I'm New York Herald. And like I said, poor O'Neill, who it's named after, originally said like, oh, it's kind of a natural bridge, baby. It's just really crazy that this would happen naturally. But then started reaching out to people and got confirmation that it was not natural. So what was the last known sighting of this bridge? The last that I have record of actually has to do, do you remember, uh, we've talked about him before, Donald Kehoe? Mm -hmm. In 1955, he wrote about the bridge 55. in his book, The Flying Saucer Conspiracy. But here's what he said in his book about it. So this is two years after it came out and then it died down pretty quickly because Wilkins quit and everybody just said, okay, well, they're idiots and there wasn't really anything there. This is according to Kehoe. The huge structure appeared sharply in outline, an unbelievable engineering marvel apparently erected in weeks, perhaps in days. Okay, why? Come on now. Everyone knows that moon building is faster because of the gravity. Right, exactly. Kehoe added that not even O'Neill dared to tell the whole story. Noting that in his report to the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers, O'Neill called it a gigantic natural bridge, like I said, but the sudden appearance of such a structure by an act of nature was absolutely impossible, as many privately admitted. Are you part of that group? Are they still around? Lunar and Planetary Observers? N I, I don't know. I'm not. Uh, I think it's mostly for like people that have advanced degrees in those fields. Ah, uh, sure. I mean, I could try. I think it's just fancy for I look at the sky a lot. Yeah. Yeah. More along the lines of what you were asking, Byron, about when was the last time it was cited. It was still being discussed in 55. In 54, before he actually resigned, Wilkins was trying to calm everybody down. 
and he used a 60-inch reflector at Mount Wilson Observatory in Southern California, and he found O'Neill's bridge illusory. He was not able to see anything other than light and shadow just at that point, I think probably was trying to also maintain his career and said, oh, looks like it really was never there to begin with. So who knows? But by 54, only a year after all of this happened. Do you want to participate in the ALPO online conference in August? What is the ALPO? Association of Lunar Planetary Observers, of course. I mean, do they have any like crazy shit? Well, I mean, their website looks like it was made Yeah, but there are two different groups of people that make websites like that. It's true. Very smart people or... Like, well, typically they're all smart, but it's people that are like smart and looking mainstream and smart and looking batshit. And so who knows? Well, I'll look into it. I I believe you do have to have a membership, but I mean, it can't be more than 20 bucks. I mean, we should look at it. You know what I was looking for uh, today? I was Googling FM transmitters because I think I could broadcast... (laughs) our show on an FM station pirate radio style. Okay, normally I think you're fucking crazy. I love that idea. It's a great idea. I love that idea. I think we could get in trouble, but they're not going to be able to track down, like, the signal into my fucking house. Can they? I don't I don't know how any of that works. Don't take my word for any of it. But it's $100 for an FM transmitter that broadcasts, like, three-mile range. Can we get a longer range? No, I think that that's harder. Can we get a repeater? You could do one here and, like, rebroadcast the signal or something. Oh, my God, we should talk about it. I like that idea. I like it, too. Okay. Another name to throw out of, of a fellow who's done a lot of work in this Chrisium stuff... Love him or hate him. His name is Steve Troy. Indifferent. Don't know him. Here's some stuff that he has talked about regarding some of these quote-unquote anomalies. Remember, these are things that he found digging into like 1990s versions, all right? Okay. Of all of this. So I've been studying lunar anomalies on an analog level since 1994 with an astronomical and stratigraphic interest in the moon for several years prior to that. One of the key frames I've examined is AS10-30-4421. Now, I've looked at this one. Yeah. Byron, definitely include that in the show notes of this episode of Friday.com. You just have to search that on NASA and Obama. The photograph is a view across the plain of Mare Crisium, emphasizing the crater Picard at the north shore of the basin. This high sun oblique photograph is centered at 55 degrees east longitude, 14 degrees north latitude. Now, for smart people, that means something. The reason he's bringing that up is because it's talking about what direction the light and shadows should be refracting, sure, reflecting good, based I on mean, the sun. I think that's useful information. It is useful information. I agree. I acquired the negative of this photo last February after looking at the Apollo photographic catalog, SP-232. In the catalog on page 164, 4421 is considerably darker than the rest of the series. Hmm. 4414 through 4420. And these are, he said analog. Does that mean these are physical yeah. pictures? Yeah, so he went and looked at the physical pictures I and mean, then that, got a physical negative. That could be an exposure issue. Well, but why would that one be so much darker than the rest. I don't know. Sometimes in that region, mechanical like, error with the camera is possible. Okay. Well, listen, I ordered it and was surprised that it was of good quality and yielded excellent sectionals. Other researchers, including Land Fleming of VGL, I don't know who that is, okay. have noted a number of anomalies, especially around the crater Picard. However, in the far right portion of the frame, there is an anomalous object several magnitudes brighter than any other feature in this picture. It is also brighter than any other natural or anomalous formation in the series 4414 through 4420, with an eight times lupe and a light table one can see. 
I don't understand what that means, but some people will. Upon examining sectionals of this area, a transparent dome-like shape that apparently is along the North Maria edge. Its transparency is confirmed by tracing the mountains behind the object, which are visible through the immense dome-like shape. I obtained other views of this area, and I'm currently looking at the whole Apollo Chrysium series with Mike Barra, who's another one of the guys that's looked into this a lot. I mean, that, that's interesting. I'm always very skeptical, especially with analog cameras. So much could go wrong. Uh, like, the shutter could be stuck. That could be dust reflecting off of a lens. Yeah, but what we're talking here is, like, literally... I haven't seen the pictures. ...domes so. that you can kind of see through. Moisture, maybe? Oh, like that. Okay, well... Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, who knows? Who knows? It could be a weird exposure, too. It though. could be a lot of different things, and I know so little about photography, but it is really interesting yeah, to look at. I think that is cool stuff. Here's his words on that, Byron. I was going to say, we're listening to a man who... <laughs> Some have asserted that this pattern is an artifact of the JPEG compression process. However, the original data was from TIFF images, which do not suffer from this tile effect. They're lossless, yeah. This intervening material is also consistent with Richard Hoagland's assertion of a box-like dome over the entire Chrysium region. Uh, this is from his book, Martian Horizons, The Journal of the Mars Mission, Volume 2, Number 5. Is this on Mars or the moon? It's it's part of discussion about that, but because Hoagland talks about both of them quite a bit. Sure. This is all moon. What we're talking about right now is great. Moon. The dome also appears to have a cellular structure identical to the castle and tower seen in the famous Hoagland data, which, again, that has to do with his Mars stuff. I don't know. He does a false color enhancement of this. Mm -hmm. I would love for somebody to look at this who knows more about it than I do because it's strange and interesting. Um, you you think that we have colonies on the moon and Mars? I don't know that we do. I, I don't know that we don't. Okay. All right. I, I mean, so either there's nothing or it's yeah. us or it's something else. I do think that with, with all the impending stuff coming out and especially that interview, which I know I keep talking about, but that interview that Elizondo, Elizondo did, yeah. did and the comment he made about like maybe they've always been here and this idea that... Maybe next episode of Behind the Screams we should actually talk about the Lou Elizondo interview. I'll pull some clips and we'll discuss it. Sure. Cool. I'd love to do that. Cool. We'll do I'd that. love to do that. I, I don't know. Upshot from Captain Kelly is I'm pretty sure there's not a bridge there now. Oh, darn it. Okay. There may have been a bridge there at some point. Okay. Fuck, it got really dark. It did. Are you scared? No, I want to plug in my fun lights. Though. All right. You want to turn on those Edisons? Get yeah, those Edisons. Don't turn on the Edisons. I got to turn on the Edisons. Now you're just showing off. I got to turn on my Edisons. Hold on. I got to turn on my Edisons. Do you have an app for it? No, I just need a light to get oh, to my Jesus Edisons. Jesus Christ real dark right now. It, it is. got dark so fast while I was talking about the moon. Would you look at that? One's dead already. Two. What's going on here? They're probably just not screwing. Well, you buy these at like enough. Harbor Freight? What's going on? Costco. All right. Just got to screw them. There was, people were talking about Harbor nope, Freight yesterday, nope. too. Put the, put the raisins down. You can't pick up a bag of raisins, a sack even, of raisins on your way back What's to- the difference between a bag and a sack? A sack's larger, in my opinion. Really? I don't know. I don't know about that. All right. Well, finish the episode for me. We will talk more about Hoagland. I, I don't want to get too much into Hoagland because honestly, the stuff that Hoagland really dives in on is the stuff on the dark side of the moon. Obviously, Mari Chrysium is not on the dark side of the moon because Have we can we see it. Have we talked about the dark side of the moon for Moon June? No, I think we talked about it briefly in remote viewing. Remote viewing, yes. Towers on the moon, was that yeah. dark side? Yes. All right. But uh, there's more that needs to be done. There's a lot more that needs to be done. 
So, Byron, I am going to put this chronological catalog of reported lunar events. Unfortunately, I mean, it really bums me out that it only goes through 1968 because we've got all the new stuff. What? A lot has happened since 1968. Yeah. That's a bummer to me, but that will be in the show notes of this episode. All of these photos, I'd love everybody to pour over them. Give me as much feedback as you can. This is not one I'm doubling down on and saying, yes, it's true, but... Yeah, there's no bridge, guys. I just, we, we've got some good players in here, right? We've got Arthur C. Clarke. Sure. There's actually, Byron, depending on whether you find a good place to put it in or not, I don't know if you will, uh, but part of that audio actually is... Uh, Werner von Braun talking about it. Oh, I mean, if we didn't listen to it, it'll definitely be in the show notes as well. Thick mm-hmm. show notes, companion Thick. material going crazy this week. Yeah, sorry, B. It's, it is okay. a little bit heavy. It's just an interesting thing. The moon is so interesting. It, to me, it parallels our oceans in terms of being something that seems pretty accessible and should be known, and yet barely anything is known well, about it. Remember earlier this week when we were talking about what we were going to cover for Moon June, we were like, how many people have walked on the moon? Twelve. Yeah, we had to like dig into it. Twelve. And they were only supposedly people from the United States, right? Yeah. So who knows what's up there, honestly. Yeah. I don't know why everyone decided to abandon... As David Bowie said, I'm afraid of Americans, and if all that have seen the moon is Americans... I thought you were going to sing... Is there life on Mars? Did Bowie ever talk about the moon? I don't know, but that's for another day. Guys, Kelly's Cryptids and Conspiracies, uh, Um. first solo segment that isn't behind a paywall. How you feeling about this new format? I kind of like it. Oh, right. I kind of like it. I'm excited for Moon June. Guys, like, lay back. Get comfy with it, because when we're done with Moon June, you're going to be, whoo, in a world of... That's all I felt for like three, four, yeah, five, I'd six honestly, months. Honestly, I'm going to put earplugs in. You'll be okay. And then put my headphones over and I'll just like periodically just nod and say things like, huh, that's really grim. I already told you my plan, but it's okay. Uh, that's still it's too that's much. still too much. All right. Well, Moon June, full force. Uh, next week, what what's the plan? I think next week we might be doing moon whistleblowers. People who have uh, seen. Well, let me let me say this. Oh. We're either going to do moon whistleblowers. Cops are coming. They're coming for me. Talk oh. about that pirate radio. Oh, there's my ride. <laughs> Fire, that was awful. <laughs> nice, guys. Uh, either moon whistleblowers or Project Moondust. Kelly, but until then, where are you going to be? Eating raisins. All right. And At Kelly Friday on Twitter. Uh, KellyFriday.com. Send me all your thoughts. Hopefully be kind. Send a picture of the moon. Send a picture of the moon. Oh, that's another one. I didn't, I didn't put that one down, that old Reese Witherspoon classic. I thought you were talking about the Man on the Moon Andy Kaufman classic, but no, Jim Carrey. And I'm at Byron McCoy on Twitter and Instagram. Byron at Friday.com is my email address. And until next Friday, I'm Byron. I'm Kelly. Keep your eyes on the skies. And stay scared. been listening to an audio wool original produced by byron mccoy theme music provided by cemeteries for more programs like this visit audiowool.co hey you made it welcome to good at parties my name is ross come on in no 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 keep your shoes on we're gonna be out back 10 cent tour so you don't have to ask me ever again down the hallway to the right is the bathroom over here to the left is the kitchen any food drink you find in there is yours 
That, you know, that's a great question. Why did I call this thing good at parties? The past year and a half has been horrible, and now that things are opening up, I'm getting a little nervous that parties are just gonna be a place where we talk about the last year and a half. And you don't want that. So I've assembled an amazing group of people that I'm talking to about subjects that they are passionate about. So you can bring up topics and nod your head along to things that maybe you don't know a lot about, but you know enough to enjoy the conversation. You're not gonna leave a half a circle because you don't know what's going on. I wanna help you be good at parties. And you know what, actually, I'm looking at these shoes right here. You probably should take those off. I'm gonna just leave them up front. Welcome to Good at Parties.